just maybe uh, for our church, if you could maybe explain a little bit about what the Salvation Army uh, does, where you guys are, um, and we'll take it from there. Happy to. Hey, it is great to be with you today. Though. Let me first saying with that. Start with that. Uh, Chris invited me to come, and what a what a great opportunity is to share as we just heard that about the Whitehorse churches sharing together. What a great opportunity for churches to, to cross paths and, and such. Um, and yeah, this is, uh, this is my Sunday getup. This is what we wear on Sundays. It's a little strange, I know, uh, um, you know, but I'll, 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 I'll explain a little bit of, about that. Um, but the Salvation Army is actually a church. A lot of people don't know they, uh, that the Salvation Army is actually a worshiping community, that uh, the Salvation Army is very often known for its community services, for its social work. Uh, the Salvos do a great deal of work uh, across the world, across our nation, across uh, communities to help those in need, the most vulnerable of the society. And depending on where you go, the Salvation Army offers just about any kind of social assistance program you can imagine, uh, from, both, uh, from something as small as a food hamper to, uh, to rental assistance to, uh, to money care, to assistance with finances, all the way to the other end, to long-term housing, sheltering. Um, in some countries, where, for instance, in Africa, where, uh, where the AIDS epidemic continues to, to ravage nations and countries and, uh, and communities, the Salvation Army runs entire hospitals. In South America, we have schools for children. In the, in the Caribbean, where I grew up, uh, we run, uh, the Salvation Army runs schools for blind children. And factories where blind adults can make products and, uh, and have a, a productive society, productive part of their community. And right here in, in Melbourne and in Box Hill, we do those exact same kinds of, of, uh, of programs. The idea is to meet the need where we find it. So we go, we find out the need, and then we work toward that. And right across Australia, the Salvation Army helps about a million people a year through crisis. And certainly this has been one of the biggest years ever for folks in need right here in Box Hill, and of course, working with the other churches in Whitehorse, the opportunity to help, particularly our, our international students that are really struggling this year, but also those who have been left behind, uh, even with JobKeeper programs and the other uh, assistance programs. There are some folks that just get left in the gap, and so the Salvation Army uh, likes to come in and to, to address those needs. The Salvation Army was actually born in England in uh, about 150 years ago as an offshoot of the Methodist Church, and it was just a Methodist pastor who wanted to, uh, to kind of break the bonds of being stuck in a church building. And so he, he wanted to do street ministry to go and help the down and out in, in East London. And it was originally called the Christian Mission. And then uh, they decided just literally for PR sake to, uh, to call it an army. And so we started dressing like this. And, uh, um, you know, the polyester is not my favorite, but, but, you know, on a weekday, I trust me, I don't dress like this. I just thought I'd, I'd come and impress you guys. No, just, <laughs> this is my formal clerical attire, so I figured I better wear it, you know, just so that people knew I was working today. Um, but, but that's what we do. And so uh, I'm, I'm here. I'm, I'm, uh, I've been appointed here to the Salvation Army here in Box Hill. We've just uh, opened a, a new building on Whitehorse Road, which yeah. we are thrilled about. And uh, we look forward to inviting you guys to come. Uh, and come in. we've got a cafe coming up. Oh, can I yeah, go plug? that's right. You can. can. I go plug? So we've you got can. a cafe that's going to open up uh, in January. And, and, of course, our social service programs are based there as well as our worshiping community. So we'd love yep. to see you just come by for a cup of coffee at some point. 
Yeah, it's so good to hear how um, from really uh, Christian roots, like from wanting to follow God's instructions and, and to implement His real heartbeat, something as powerful as and world impactful as the Salvation Army um, can, can be birthed, you know. Um, yeah, and as a big plug for your cafe, you, you were telling me that that's just not going to be like a regular cafe, right? You're, you're going to staff it. It's going to be... Um, a little bit of a social enterprise in and of itself even at some level. It is. It's called, uh, it's called Cafe Salvos, but it's coffee with a cause. We're going to be employing young adults and, and older adults with special needs. The idea, of course, is to give them practical training on cooking skills, on, uh, on, on uh, um, serving skills, to give them a productive job, and also to serve the community. So we're looking forward to that. Yeah, delving into Fantastic. that. Coffee with a cause. Great, great. You know, I think that is one of the biggest joys this year for me in um, finding out more about some of the other churches in Box Hill is that, you know, one, one church cannot do everything. Right? One church, we have for the longest time almost given up, almost given up m taking responsibility for Box Hill, for Whitehorse, because it's too big a responsibility for one church to hold. Um, but I think what we can see now that within almost our grasp is if 20 plus churches work together, bringing our own different strengths into the mix, we have actually the ability to go to council, to go to our... And you know this story well. She was already engaged to this, uh, to, to this carpenter named Joseph. Now that wasn't so unusual in first century Palestine. Young girls got uh, engaged and married quite early. In fact, many of them would have been engaged by age 12 or 13. Marriages were often arranged by the parents, and young girls often got married to older men. And uh, the engagement period was a very formal affair. Engagement in those days meant basically the same thing as marriage, except that you didn't get to live together. But they were engaged, betrothed in every other way. They were legally bonded for life. In fact, you could only break an engagement by death or divorce. And in the case of d divorce, it would only, can only be initiated by the man. So Mary's life was set. 12, uh, at tw uh, 12 or 13, perhaps, she began to, uh, they began to build a relationship. And by, scholars suggest that now, by age 15 or 16, she was now betrothed to be married to Joseph in their little town of Nazareth. A little town about 150 kilometers north of, of Jerusalem, one of those small backwards towns that nothing ever happened in. That, uh, um, that it was not an important city, it was not a, a significant place. About, a, about a, um, several hundred residents, perhaps. They were farmers or shepherds or maybe tradespeople that worked in the nearby larger towns. But basically, just a little sleepy village. Nobody important ever came from there, and nothing significant ever happened there until the angel arrived. So there's Mary. She's sweeping the floor with this homemade broom in the corner of the room that serves as their family kitchen. The floor is hard-packed dirt. If they lived in the city, they probably had a single room for the entire family. The kitchen would be in one corner, the sleeping quarters on the side, or maybe in a little alcove in the back. 
In the corner here would be a pen where they would keep their animals. Every, every, uh, every family kept a few chickens and a goat for eggs and milk. And they would, be, uh, they would bring them inside at night, and they would be there. If they were very lucky, they had a rooftop terrace. But most, if you lived in town, simply had these side-by-side waddle homes. Very simple, with dirt floors. And so dirt was inevitable. And so I just picture Mary sweeping. She's got her hair pulled up in a ponytail. Sleeves are rolled up. And maybe she's humming. Maybe humming a simple tune from the Psalms. Good girl, went to synagogue. She probably learned the Psalms like everyone else. Although she would never be educated. She was a girl. She would never learn how to read or write. She would never travel far from her village. Perhaps the most exciting trip of her life would be all the way down to Jerusalem for Passover. She would never know of the world beyond her little village. She had no plans or aspirations. Her life was already planned out for her. Mary the carpenter, bear his children, take care of her parents in their old age. Until the angel arrived. So there she is, sweeping the floor with no other thoughts to engage her. And suddenly this angel appears. And he says, Mary, greetings, you who are highly favored by God. Well, now that's a good start. I mean, think about it. Just think of that that statement. You who are highly favored by God. Now, this is the angel Gabriel, who is God's messenger, who seems to be picking up a bunch of work now. He seems to be, be coming down to earth to, to do some of these messages quite a bit now. So he's getting, he's, he's getting into routine. So he knows to start with something uh, positive, to, to get her to relax a little bit. So he says, hey, you are highly favored by God. Now, in some of the old translations, they, they, they use this, uh, this word that makes it sound like she's preferred by God, like you are favored among other women. The new translations remind us that it's simply saying you have found favor with God. Like, God has seen you, and he likes what he sees. Now, I don't know what God saw that he liked. Was it her youthful naivete? Was it her faithfulness? Was it her servant's attitude? Was it the fact that God knew what she could do through her faith? In any case, that's how Gabriel started the conversation. You are favored by God. Now, can you imagine Mary for a moment? I mean, she's just over there minding her own business, sweeping the floor, and suddenly, boom, an angel of the Lord appears to her. Well, what's the next thing uh, the angel says? He says, don't be afraid. He's getting used to it. He seems to always have to say that every time Gabriel appears. He's got to tell them, don't be afraid. I mean, and what's not to be afraid of? I think that's why he starts with that, uh, that calming effect that, that all's good. You found favor with God. But he still has to say, don't be afraid. I mean, come on, of course she's afraid. Nothing like this has ever happened to her. 
This is not the normal Tuesday afternoon activities while you're sleeping the, sweeping the, the, the floors kind of deal. In fact, nothing like this has happened to anyone in living memory. Because God had been silent for 400 years. Since the time of the prophets, no one had heard from God. No prophecies, no messages, no visions, just silence. The priests, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, none of them had heard anything from God. And suddenly, God spoke. Now, Mary, of course, had no way of knowing that Gabriel had actually already uh, come down and spoken to her relative, Zechariah, about having uh, a baby with his wife, John the Baptist. But she couldn't know that. So for her, this was a radical, a radical moment in her life when God comes down with the angel, the angel telling her, you are highly favored by God. And then he goes on with his message. Don't be afraid, because I've got something to tell you. You are going to be a mother. You're going to get pregnant. You're going to have a son. You're going to name him Jesus, which means God saves. Yeshua, God salvation. And he will be a king, and his reign will last forever. Wow. Now, can you imagine again, let's think about Mary for a second. I th I'm thinking by now, she's got to sit down. I'm thinking that the broom clatters to the floor while she reaches behind her to find the chair to sit down. She's got to process this information. She has to understand what the angel has just told her. You're going to have a baby. He's going to be the king. His reign will last forever. And I can just see Gabriel over here just being casual, letting her take her time, kind of uh, waiting for her to catch up. And then Mary processes it. And she begins to think through what it is that the angel has just told her. Now, you can imagine all the wild things that's going through Mary's mind at this moment. What is Joseph going to think? Oh, my word, what about my parents? The whole town will know. How is this going to affect my life, my marriage, my husband? And what in the world is this about a king? But, you know, she didn't uh, say any of those things. She did something that no one would have expected and fewer would have done. Because her response was not one out of, a, out of a lack of faith. Her response was not because she didn't believe the angel. Her response was a simple, logical question. How will this happen? I'm a virgin. How will I get pregnant? It's a simple question, isn't it? I mean, there's literal biology involved. She just wants to know. And so Gabriel explains it to her, sort of. And he says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of God will overshadow you. 
It's the same words, incidentally, that the Bible uses when it talks about the presence of God over the Ark of the Covenant in the temple. That God's power will be with her. That God's power will overshadow her. That she will be with God's child. It's quite a moment for a 16-year-old girl. And what would her response be next? How would she respond to the angel Gabriel telling her all of this news, all of these expectations, this, uh, the, this, this God that was coming to earth, this, man, this, uh, this child that would be in her, that she would give birth to someone who would be the king of the world whose reign would last forever? And she says simply this, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. A simple act of obedience, of faith, of servanthood. Her response was one of faith that enabled God's grand design, his plan of salvation to be fulfilled in humanity. A simple little girl saying yes to God. And it makes me wonder, what's the difference between her story and that of her relative, Zechariah, who when Gabriel uh, came, to, came to him and, and told him that he and his wife would conceive in their old age, he scoffed at the angel. Or what about uh, Moses or Jonah or Gideon when God spoke to them? Moses made excuses. Jonah ran away. And Gideon tried to test God. But for Mary, she did none of those things. She simply said, I am the Lord's servant. She was just a regular girl. An ordinary young lady given an extraordinary task. I wonder what gave her the courage to do that. She carried the baby. She risked the anger of her husband. She risked divorce, even stoning from her village. She certainly endured the scorn of her neighbors. And so she carried the baby. She traveled those 150 kilometers down past Jerusalem into Bethlehem, eight months pregnant, and had the baby, her firstborn son, in a stable, and took that helpless baby and put him in a feeding trough. Later, she fled to Egypt and lived as a, uh, as a refugee, as an exile, because the king wanted to kill her innocent child. Thirty years later, her son in ministry was accused of blasphemy, and she watched as he was ran out of town and almost stoned. And of course, three years after that, she stood at his feet while her baby boy, the one who God said would be the king of the universe, was nailed to a cross 
Of course, she couldn't know any of that. It's been said that, um, that it is good that we cannot know our future because it would terrify us. I think that's true, especially those of us who have lived through, and all of us have, we've lived through the last year. There is no way a year ago any of us would have predicted the year that we've just experienced. And it was certainly true of Mary, this uneducated teenage girl from a small town in, Naz- of, uh, in, Jerus- in Judea. She couldn't know what was in front of her. How would this young teenager find the strength to say yes. She knew nothing of politics or religion or the world beyond her little village. She had no way to understand the implications of her decision in that moment. She didn't know what it all meant, and she couldn't have imagined what would become of her son, this boy who would grow up to, uh, um, to perform miracles who would give sight to blind people, who would, who would heal the sick, who would feed thousands of people with a simple lunch from a small boy. This man who uh, would be hailed as a hero and yet convicted as a criminal, who would be executed, but who would raise from the dead and who would be indeed God's plan of salvation, God's Emmanuel, God with us the one who had come to save all of humanity. But Mary couldn't know any of that. How did this little girl find the strength to say yes? Well, perhaps it was in those first words from Gabriel, right in his introduction, back in verse 28 of Luke chapter 2, where he says this, God will be with you. Just that simple promise, God is with you. And perhaps that's all she needed. Perhaps that was the, uh, the promise, a promise of God's presence that brings both peace and power to those who receive it. It's what enables us to follow God's leaving. It's what enables us to hear his voice. We call it prevenient grace, that grace of unmerited favor that God bestows on every member of humanity long before we accept him as Savior, that ability to know him and to see him and to hear his voice. God's grace promises to be with us. It's the same words that God gave to Moses out of the burning bush, saying, I will be with you. It's the same uh, phrase that, that Jesus used when he said, for I will never leave you or forsake you. Or the words that God used through his prophet Isaiah when he says, I will uphold you in my righteous right hand. God's promise of presence brings peace and brings power. And for Mary, perhaps that's what she needed on that day. And that was the role that she was given. And when I look back around the, uh, the circle of the nativity scene, and I see each one of those players who were there on that very first Christmas, I see them all playing a different role in God's plan of salvation. The wise men, who we know technically came a little later, 
But theirs was a faith of expectation. They saw the sign from God. God gave them that star and they followed it out of faith and out of expectation. What about the shepherds? I don't know. I love the shepherds. I think that's a great deal. Those guys had it good. These ordinary men who were given an extraordinary gift to be told of God's coming first before anyone else. Theirs was a faith of excitement where they got the thrill of hearing the angels declaring the glory of God, the hope of the world, great news of good joy that is given to all people. And they ran to Bethlehem to find the babe. And when they did, they ran back and shared that good news with everyone. A faith of excitement. Well, how about Joseph? There's a faith of sacrifice. A man who gave up his own life, his own expectations of what was going to proceed. He had every plan to marry this young girl, to raise his family, to be a carpenter, to have a nice quiet life. But he gave all of that up because God had a plan for him and he accepted. And then there's Mary, right at the center of it all. And in any little nativity you've seen, you always see Mary and Joseph and maybe the baby in a manger. But I like this one, where Mary is holding her child, her precious baby boy, as any mother would want to do. The Bible says that she treasured all of these things in her heart. And no doubt she reflected on this moment all those years later. When she lost Jesus, remember, in the temple 12 years later? Any mom who's, who's, uh, who's, uh, who's had their kids go missing even for a moment has that same panic. We all do when our kids, uh, we can't see them. We, they go missing for a moment. Yeah, I'm sure she thought about it that moment. I'm sure she reflected on it many times during those three years of Jesus' earthly ministry. When he was both at the top of the mountain, but also in the valleys when he was uh, being paraded through Jerusalem as the crowning king, but perhaps even more so when he's being nailed to that cross, when Jesus looked down and said, John, take care of my mom. Yeah, Mary. What was going through her heart and her mind? Hers was a faith of certainty. Although she had no idea what was to come, she believed the angel and accepted God's presence in her life. And I wonder if that's what we all need on a day like today, after a year like the year we've had. We need that same kind of faith, that expectation of God's presence, that understanding, that knowledge, that anticipation that God promises to be with us. That regardless of the shadows that we walk in or the valleys that we have to proceed through, the highs and the lows of everyday life, whether it's a pandemic or whether we're just struggling in our own marriage, whether it's financial concerns or health worries, God doesn't promise us that every day will be perfect, that we will have an easy go of life, but he does promise that he will be with us. 
that he will never leave us or forsake us. Because that's what Emmanuel means, doesn't it? Isaiah says that, uh, that you, a, a son will be born and you will call him Emmanuel, God with us. It's the word incarnate. John 1 says the word was with God and the word was with, word was with God and the word was God. This is not just a, some semblance of God, not just a relation of God. This was God himself born in humanity. This juxtaposition between the divine and the human. When God himself, as John 1, 14 says, took up residence with us. God with us. Emmanuel. So my prayer for all of us as we move out of 2020 and into 2021, that we would recognize that, that we would have the faith of those that were first in that, uh, that first Christmas day, that faith of expectation, that faith of excitement, that faith of sacrifice, that faith of certainty, of knowing that wherever we go, God goes with us. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, how grateful we are that you promise to be with us. As we walk through valleys or as we get to sprint up mountains, we pray, God, that you are indeed with us. And we thank you for that. We praise you because you are Emmanuel. You are God with us. Then you dwell among us in our hearts and our lives. And so, God, I would pray that for those that might feel a little lost or alone this morning, that they would know of your presence, that they would feel that peace and that power that comes with your promise of presence, that we would know that you are Emmanuel, that you are God, and that you are with us. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for making, oh, making it so simple. You know, the thing is, when God asks us, what will be our answer? For Mary, it was just a very simple, yes, I am your servant. And I think that's the challenge for us as a church, for me as a dad, each of us in our homes and our families what's God going to do with our lives and if he asks what would be our answer uh, you know we're going to finish the service today if you came to church if it's your first time visiting or if it's your 100th 